Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Our guest here today is Devin Brightheart. I hope I'm saying your name right. Thank you so much for being here, Devin. Let's get right into it. What is your OT story? How did you find out about occupational therapy? Yeah, so it's a funny story and it's a path that I haven't really heard of anyone else taking. So when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to do something like kind of healthcare related, kind of psychology related. And so I also really liked art. And I found art therapy, and I thought that was the perfect marriage of two things I really enjoyed. So my art teacher had provided this list of programs nearby that offered art therapy, and so I scheduled a college visit to one my junior year. We went through the whole college visit, and then they were asking about what we were thinking of majoring in. And I said, oh, I heard you have an art therapy program. And they said, art therapy? We don't have an art therapy program. Oh, my goodness. But we have occupational therapy and I was 16 years old and I had never heard of occupational therapy, never grew up around many people with disabilities, never had parents who needed it. So I just was completely blind to what the profession even was. But as soon as they explained it to me, I was like, oh, that's right. That's what I'm going to do. And so I made the decision, applied to that college and they had a combined bachelor's and master's degree and that was it. So I was very lucky to have something that I found when I was 16 years old that actually ended up being what I really wanted to do as an adult. That is awesome. Yeah. In my class, we were like split 50, 50, those that were like you straight, like OT all the way. And then those of us that were like kind of second career changing paths and like, we don't know what we're getting ourselves into kind of people. I was on the second part, but it was interesting to see like the dynamic of like the 23 year olds that went in right away and then the 26 and up so like 42 even that were you know in it for in a different stage of their life um all right well i love your story thank you for sharing so now let's talk about telehealth so when did you start using the telehealth service delivery model so officially this past spring, whenever schools transitioned to distance learning, that was my first real exposure to telehealth. So it had been something I've been interested in in the past. Awesome. So you're like with a big group of people that were just thrown into it and had to adapt and just roll yeah. with the punches. <laughs> so what our listeners maybe don't know is that I follow you on Instagram and you were answering some awesome questions that your audience was coming up with about school-based telehealth. Um, And I just thought your answers were fabulous. I was like, I have to get her here to talk to everybody about her experience. I wanted somebody who was in it right now. Like I know so many school-based OTs, but that aren't in it anymore um, and are not experiencing like what's going on. So talk to us about your transition from in-school, in-person school-based services to telehealth in the spring and now? Yeah. Um, So it was very sudden, as I'm sure anyone would agree with who was working with schools at the time. Um, You know, it was mid-March and one week we were at school and then the next week we weren't. 
originally we thought it was going to be for maybe two weeks. Our spring break was really close. So we were like, oh, we'll take these two weeks off and then we'll come back after spring break probably. Obviously that did not happen. It ended up being the whole semester. And, you know, eventually that was officially called, but for a long time we were kind of operating in the space of maybe we're going to go back in May. Maybe we're going to go back in a couple weeks. And, you know, we never did. So the original transition, everyone was kind of just running around like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to figure out what learning looked like. And for me, being the only occupational therapist in the district I was working for at the time, I had to kind of figure out what that looked like by myself, from my perspective. And of course, I have a lot of um, online uh, communities and other friends and stuff that I could talk about it with too. But I am honestly grateful that I was the only OT at the time because I was given a lot of freedom to figure out what the program was going to look like. And there wasn't a lot of um, like back and forth basically of like, oh, should we do this or should we do this? It was just me and I knew I had to act, so I did. So I was really fortunate in the spring because for one, I had a caseload that I already knew. You know, I'd already developed rapport with these students, I already developed rapport with the parents, um, the teachers, staff. And I think that's very advantageous. This fall, I'm working for a new district because I'm a travel therapist. So it's that whole new process of developing rapport with everyone. But this time, I don't have the advantage of knowing people in person first. So it's a little bit more challenging. But in the spring, I at least had relationships already that I could um, build upon and use to get people transitioned to this different model. Um, the other advantage I really felt that I had in the spring was that I was in a very, um, for the most part, affluent area. Not all of my students, of course, but I was in Silicon Valley, so internet access was pretty good. My district was really good about getting hotspots and Chromebooks out to any families that needed them. So I had the advantage of actually having a completely connected caseload, which does not happen and certainly didn't happen for every district when we had to switch so suddenly in the spring. Um, and then my third really big advantage, I feel like, was I had a ton of involved families. So these were families who, um, they were all high school students. That's another thing I think was kind of advantageous. Mm -hmm. I had only high school and post-secondary students. So these were families who were familiar with their child's disability, familiar with the supports they needed, and just really, honestly, like, very educated and very, like, in tune with what their child needed. So I really appreciated that. Um, so me being in this situation, having all these families of these high schoolers, and my caseload was also mostly consult, did have some students that I was providing direct services for, but I had a lot of students who I helped in a more consultative way, or maybe only saw for direct services once a month. So that was more advantageous too. So what I really want to impress here is that I feel like I had a lot of success with telehealth in the spring, but I want everyone to know that you know, it was because I had a lot of advantages that I know not every school-based therapist has. Um, right. Yeah. So you mentioned a few things. So being the only OT, you mentioned that, because um, I am getting, like that piqued my interest because I'm getting so many people obviously asking me about telehealth and my, like, my instinct is to be like, are you not getting, especially with the questions that are coming in, like, are you not getting any guidance from like the district or from like, who's your boss? Like, I don't never been a school OT, so I have no idea how it works. And I'm like, it's not, and no one's giving you any guidance at all whatsoever. And they're like, no, like we have to decide. And so I'm just like, so that was your position. Like you were the OT, you had to decide like everything, what platform to use, like what kind of model to use, like, was it all on you? Pretty much, yeah. Um, and 
you know, I think that's pretty similar in a lot of schools because we're often under people who may not necessarily be OTs, like very often are not OTs. Their background is in education, so maybe they were a special education teacher and then they decided to be a special education director and now they're supervising a group of OTs who maybe they had some exposure to when they were in a special education teacher, but very often our supervisors don't know exactly what we do. <laughs> and, um, you know, really for every district I've worked for, we've been given a lot of auto autonomy, whether I was the only OT or I was a team of OTs, you're given a lot of autonomy. And sometimes that's a great thing because it removes barriers and roadblocks when you are trying to get something done. But it can also be really challenging to just want to have an answer and want to have guidance and not really be getting that from district admin. Yeah, I can't like imagine not knowing how to use Zoom, not knowing like what you should be telling families to expect, not knowing, I, I mean, just everything like goals and all this stuff and not getting any guidance and just having to be that, that go-to person, like you're it. And I'm just, I'm still like blown away by that. And I'm blown away by the responsibility and the change. And I'm realizing that that's why it's been so hard for this group of OTs compared to clinic-based or home-based um, that are transitioning to telehealth. Yeah. Um, all right. So overall, what's been the most difficult part um, then or now? Hmm. I think the most difficult part in the spring was just that, like not really having a ton of guidance and having to make all those decisions on my own. And I mean, it worked out and I was happy in the end that I did get to make those decisions for myself instead of being really restricted. You know, I've heard stories of therapists being told that they have to use this certain program because it's what everyone in the district is using and it works well for education, like classroom teachers, but it is not all set up for OTs. And so, you know, while there was a lot of advantage to being able to make those decisions, it was kind of like, I woke up on March 17th and I'm like, oh my God, like, what do I do now? Like, what am I going to do? So were the expectations still the same? Like, were the expectations still like, you had to see your full caseload, good luck, get to it? Yeah, the way my district in the spring handled it was pretty much, we are going to be implementing IEPs as best we can. And so honestly, for like related services, like OT, PT, and that kind of stuff, it's a little bit easier because, you know, you're likely only going to be seeing the kid for 30 minutes a week, maybe once a month, you know, maybe at most like a couple of times a week. So it's pretty easy to mirror those minutes in a teletherapy setting. Mm. Whereas with classroom teachers or education staff, like especially for a self-contained classroom, they have those kids all, the, all day long. You know, my district, I don't think any district really tried to put kids in a classroom all day long on virtual, um, yeah. in a virtual setting. So, you know, we, we've implemented IEPs as best we can with the actual education minutes probably being a little bit less than they would have been, but it was similar to what gen ed students were receiving because they also weren't in a virtual class all day long. Now this fall, it's a little bit different and I'm working for a different district as well. So that's part of it. But the impression I'm getting both from my district and like just kind of across the country is that it is much more serious this fall. It's much more structured. Mm -hmm. um, the schedule that my district has released for students literally has them on Zoom from like eight to two. And it's like there are Zoom calls for each subject and it's you know, it's not so it's not so much screen time that the child is literally going to be on for seven hours without a break. There are supposed to be breaks and things like that built in, but it is still, you know, a full school day just 
delivered virtually, which was not really what was happening in the spring, I think, in most districts. Yeah, which is wild for me to hear, like, as a homeschool mom and a mom who serves homeschool parents, I mean, an OT who serves homeschool parents, homeschooling hours are nowhere near that, like, at all. So it's like, why are school districts expecting kids to be doing virtual learning for a full school day when the transition could have been more like a homeschool model? Yes. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, I guess, like, we're not the ones making those decisions, so... OTs are not usually in those rooms when those decisions are being made, which yeah. is unfortunate, but it's also kind of on us to advocate to be in those positions. Yeah, that's a lot of like my answer. It's like if you are feeling like this is not going the way it should be, then you need to be an OT who's advocating for your school district and advocating for your kiddos and kind of speaking up. And this is not the time to sit back and be quiet and just like, you know, not say anything. Right. So what's the most difficult part now in your new school district? Honestly, it's just developing that initial rapport. You know, it's so much easier, I feel, to develop rapport with students in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I'll eventually be very practiced with telehealth and I'll think differently about that and I'll be able to develop rapport just like that. Um, But for now, you know, making a new relationship completely virtually, especially with kids with more severe disabilities, I think is really challenging to do through telehealth alone and the families, you know, I had contact with the parents already in my last district. So when I emailed them, they weren't like, who is this person emailing me? They're like, oh, it's Devin. Let's see what she has to say about OT. Whereas now it's like, I have a whole new caseload, new set of kids, new set of families. They don't know me. They're already feeling overwhelmed. I'm sure families are more overwhelmed this semester because of the increased demands. And honestly, from like a true OT holistic standpoint, I, I'm kind of okay if they need to blow me off for a little bit because yeah. the demands being placed on families right now are insane to facilitate distance learning, to have a full-time job, most of these families still, to possibly be working out of the home. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of demands on families and, you know, not to, like, devalue our service at all, but part of being an OT is being holistic and deciding, like, what is important to this family right now. And some of our families are just, trying to survive, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was like one of the biggest changes I was trying to help people through. It's like, forget your school-based goals right now. Like literally just ask the families, like if they're okay, if they're surviving, what can you do to help? What are they struggling with? That's it. Like you should not be focusing on education-based goals right now, like in the home, in the telehealth environment, like check in on these people. We're OTs. We can serve the family as a unit. And that's what we do via telehealth when it's not school-based, like that's what you should be doing. And if your district is saying that that's not okay, then you need to speak up because that is what you need to be doing. In a pandemic, I'm sure no one gives a crap, excuse the language, if you're working on your IEP goals or not. Like, yes, I could be completely wrong. I did talk to someone that was like, yeah, they're being super strict about it. I'm like, well, you need to speak up because it's not okay. And these families are facing so much more than their IEPs right now. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And I see OTs online, like kind of falling into that same mindset of like, oh, well, like their goal is for handwriting. So we have to work on handwriting right now. But it's like, that's really not a relevant goal to this educational environment if the student is completing all their work by typing on the computer anyways. So why are you going to force this parent to sit through a 30 minute handwriting session when they're just barely like trying to get their kids breakfast? You could work on pouring a bowl of cereal, like microwaving a sandwich, like anything that is going to help take some of the work off these parents. 
Yeah. And all these things that are part of our routine tie into like the school goals. Like you need an adequate school space so you can work on home modification, creating a good space, a good environment for that child to be able to focus to then work on handwriting. Like it's a pre handwriting goal. You know, you need them to be up and dressed and fed in the morning before they can work on handwriting. And so all those things will come and follow suit, but you got to do them in the right order. Yeah. And I totally feel for OTs who are in like, or at least feel like they're in a situation where they have to address the IEP goals, whether it's because, you know, and sometimes it's just like the documentation. Like sometimes the documentation when you're writing a session, depending on your IEP program, will make you say, what goal did you address? And so, again, that's another area where I was lucky in the spring because most of my students that did have direct services had some sort of self-help goal already because they were kids with more severe disabilities and self-help, like ADLs, vocational skills, like that's what they were working on more than like academics. You know, I really didn't have kids with handwriting goals because they were high schoolers. And I, that's another one of my things is I will not write a handwriting goal for a high schooler unless it's like a very, very rare scenario. So I was lucky in that we were already working on self-help skills at school in that context. And then Mm -hmm. to just be able to switch over to home was honestly a pretty easy transition. So, you know, for OTs that aren't currently serving students that do have self-help goals on their IEP, you know, you might need to either get creative with how you're documenting it. So maybe saying like, you know, we worked on a bilateral coordination activity and that could totally just be stirring in a bowl, you know, mm-hmm. and that bilateral coordination activity is still going to support this other goal you wrote for cutting with scissors because you wrote that to address their bilateral coordination. Or in some scenarios, you honestly might need to amend the IEP. You might need to say, hey, we established these goals when we were in a much different setting. We need to write some new goals that are more appropriate to this setting. You don't necessarily have to take off those old goals if you're anticipating returning to an in-person learning environment soon, but you would need to have something that you can work off of and justify your time for right now. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I think that's that's the way that it should be addressed, and I think that's a great tip for OTs who are still finding themselves like in this situation where they feel pressured to follow that like IEP to the you know to the T. Um, so let's talk, since we're still talking about IEPs, let's talk about how you address IEP goals and IEP meetings via telehealth. Yeah. So I had a ton of IEP meetings via telehealth in the spring because my district was actually a high school only district. So that's why I only had high schoolers is because my district just didn't start any lower. So we had about a million transition meetings in the spring from eighth graders who were transitioning from their feeder districts of which there were like 12 transitioning into our high school district. Um, So I got a lot of experience with IEP goals in the spring, um, delivered virtually. And so it was a little different then because we were just making sure the goals were appropriate. And honestly, most of the conversations were conversations that we would have had even if we were in an in-person environment because it was things like, hey, your kiddo has a handwriting goal on their IEP, but like we really need to start looking at technology probably should have started looking at technology much sooner, but I'm not letting this kid transfer in like with this handwriting goal in their AP. Um, And we were also kind of in a space where we were like, oh, like we're certainly going to return for classes in the fall. So Mm. let's just, let's just prepare for that. And then obviously that really hasn't happened in a large way, at least, at least on the West coast. I know there's a lot of other districts kind of in the Midwest or the South who are in person or are like 
and a hybrid model. Um, mm -hmm. I think for the most part, West Coast districts really aren't there yet. And you're in Washington now, is that right? Yes, now I'm in Washington State. Okay. Yeah, here, um, well, in my county anyway, I think as of today, parents got to choose if their kiddo was going to go in person or if they were going to stay virtual, um, which I think is just super interesting. Like my, you know, my girls are not in school. They're four and almost two, but it's like, what, you know, like, what would I do? Just like a choice that parents shouldn't have to make. I no, think it's, it's so tough. It's so tough. Like, yeah. do you work? Like, I'm lucky to work from home, but like, do you go to your job so that you can, and some people had to keep sending their kids to daycare or what have you and continue working. Um, but it's just like such a tough place to be in. Um, all right, let's talk about, let's see if I want to, Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about, we're talking about parents. So let's continue that. How were you able to, well, how are you able to now achieve parent participation in the sessions? What strategies have you used? What's worked well? So I am a heavy proponent of a parent coaching model. Um, that was really where I had a lot of success in the spring. And again, you know, I had really involved families for the most part. So I don't want to make any OT out there feel bad and just say like, oh, well, her caseload was completely different. She had an easy caseload and I can't do that. Um, but I do at the same time want to encourage everyone to at least try a parent coaching model. It might not work out. Parents might be too busy. Again, there's so many demands on families right now that if parents really can't participate in a model like that, it's okay. But I would suggest that everyone at least try it because I had a mom say something really sweet to me at the end of our time working together um, over the summer. And she said, you know, whenever we started this distance learning thing, I felt really discouraged and I just wasn't expecting my daughter to make progress. And I was hoping like just crossing my fingers at the very least she would maintain and she wouldn't regress. And then she told me, she was like, but I feel like with your OT sessions, like this is the area where she actually made progress. Like I feel like, you know, even though we were doing it via telehealth, she's made progress like more than she was making. And yes. I don't know, like that, like that almost made me cry because I was like, oh, that's why I'm doing this. Yes. And that was apparent that we just did a parent coaching model. She would have her daughter there on the session. We would talk about the different tasks she was working on. And it was stuff like brushing her hair, preparing a simple snack, pouring water into a glass without spilling. And, you know, I would coach the student, but, you know, I would coach the mom as well. Yeah. And it was awesome. I mean, it was just one of my favorite experiences as an OT, honestly. I absolutely love the parent coaching model. It is my favorite. And I've seen so much progress, like you just said, like so much more progress with these kids. And so have the parents, like way faster than I'm able to actually like clearly discharge someone at 12 weeks instead of keeping them on for four years. Like yes. it's just incredible. I yes. love it. I love and I and I mean, I'm lucky enough that I get to choose to only work with parents who want to participate in the sessions. Um, and I know that's not everyone's case. And that, like you said, a lot of parents are not interested. I have a close mom friend who, when I told her I was doing telehealth and the way that I was doing it, she's like, absolutely not. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. And I totally get it. She's got four kids. Three of them have special needs. Like, she just wants the time to herself. And I'm not there to judge her, but definitely not my ideal client. And, but it's so, it's just like so powerful. Like when people get it, that parent coaching is just like, does wonders and it's so effective. Yeah. 
Um, I think the early intervention people know, like know that if they've been using that model, they know that and it, tra it translates so well to telehealth. Yes. Um, all right, let's switch gears and talk about tech. And I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot here because I totally, I totally don't know if you know the answer, but um, I've heard a lot of people talk about the limitations of Chromebooks. And you mentioned that earlier um, with, you know, with telehealth and with the whole, um, like the apps that you use and that kind of thing. Have you experienced any, any issues with Chromebooks and kind of how have you dealt with that? Yeah, so the issue that most people run into with Chromebooks is that you cannot give students remote access to control the mouse um, if you're using Zoom. So say if you did have, you know, a boom card or something like that, like some sort of activity where you wanted to share your screen and let the student click with the, uh, the mouse. A Chromebook just does not have that capability right now. Maybe Zoom or, you know, there will eventually be an update where that happens, but yeah, for right now, if you were hoping to do kind of an interactive activity like that and your student is using a Chromebook, you won't be able to. There is an extension um, that I've heard of that I haven't tried out personally with any students, but there is an extension that you can get for the Chrome browser that will supposedly make remote access work mm -hmm. um, on Google Meet, I think. Again, I haven't tried it out, but I've heard people having some success with that. For me, it wasn't um, really so much of an issue because, again, most of my direct services in the um, spring were parent coaching, so we weren't doing a ton of, like, not pencil and paper, but, like, you know, interactive activities like that that would have require, required the remote access. Um, the only other limitation that's kind of big with Chromebooks is that, you know, there's not a lot of memory on them. They're not, like, high-performance computers for the most part. And so sometimes your connection can get kind of choppy, like maybe the webcam quality isn't the greatest, especially if you're trying to actually work on handwriting or something like that, looking at student work samples, you know, you might not be able to see with fidelity what that work sample looks like on the video call. There's workarounds to that, like taking a picture and then emailing it later, but I would say that's another big limitation with them is that just they're, they're fairly cheap computers, so it's not gonna be beautiful video quality. Yeah, so is the district providing the OTs a Chromebook as well, or are you all using your own devices and then the students are using Chromebooks? So my district this year provided everyone with a MacBook, um, all of the staff members that are working virtually, and then students who didn't have a device at home are being provided with a Chromebook. But I know one of the other barriers that my district is running into, and I'm sure lots of districts are running into, is that Chromebooks are just not in stock anywhere like mm. we have a huge order for chromebooks right now in my district that we are waiting on and waiting on and waiting on and you know we have several students who have not been able to get a chromebook yet because of that um mm. you know it's just everyone in the country i'm sure is trying to order chromebooks for all of their students yeah so what are the parents doing in that case are they using their phones or are they just not getting therapy or what's going on so some parents will use their phones, um, you know, some parents, it's usually, it's usually kind of an overlap of parents who are already having trouble participating for other reasons, just because, you know, they're often parents who both work full time or they're not in the house a lot to begin with. And so it's parents who might honestly prefer to do more like pencil and paper activities. So I know, for example, the district I'm working for now in the spring um, had their OTs provide like packets and like other physical materials to send home with students so that parents could at least have something um, to work off of. And honestly, I know that's the preference of several parents even now, even if they do have better access to the technology. Um, but yeah, it is a challenge because, you know, those students just 
don't have good consistent access and that is really one of the things that you kind of have to have to have good results in teletherapy right exactly um yeah so i at least it's good to hear that parents are receptive to like doing their own work you know with their kids and continuing that like homework type of uh, mentality and doing something that's better than nothing i think especially during these circumstances like my expectations just went like right down for families like during this time and I don't think like we really stopped to think about how or or, like just people in general like how this is affecting the kids too like not just the parents it's like they're receptive of like the stress and the anxiety that the adults are like you know are feeling and the kids totally feed off of that and so we obviously had to take them into consideration as well um all right let's see I think that's it. I don't have any more questions for you. This has been amazing. I'm so super grateful that you came on. Where can everyone find you? I know you have like a course and stuff like self-promote girl. Get it. <laughs> Alrighty. So I am the dynamic school OT on Instagram and Facebook. And I do have a Facebook group that you're welcome to join as well. I post resources. I do Facebook lives, um, just talking about school-based therapy in general, but obviously a lot of it right now is focused on kind of this weird environment we're in. Um, I do have a course that goes along with that, also called the Dynamic School OT. I actually, it's not open right now. Um, I had closed it and I had a couple things that I was working on updating, but one of those things that I was waiting on to open it up again was getting AOTA approval, and I just got that on Friday, and I'm so excited about that because expecting to get that um, this soon. I was thinking I would have to wait a little bit longer to apply, but I was like, you know what? I'll just apply and see what happens. And it was a little bit arduous. Um, If there's anyone listening who is interested in becoming an AOTA approved provider, like it is a long application, but it was not as bad as I was expecting it was going to be. I procrastinated it for a while because I was like, oh, I don't want to fill that thing out. But I got it. I'm super excited. So that was the biggest thing I was waiting on to open up the course again for fall enrollment. So there's just a couple of changes I need to make. I want to make a couple of new resources, but then it should be open very soon within the next couple of weeks here. Very cool. Congrats on that. I heard it is a very tough application. So kudos to you. I won't even touch it with a 10 foot pole right now, but I probably need to because I know a lot of people are asking me with my stuff. I just give you like a certificate of completion and just say, you know, go like submit it on your own. But I know a lot of people are looking for that stamp of approval from AOTA. So kudos to you for doing that. I need to, I need to get on it. (laughs) Send in an application and see what happens. See what they say. Yeah, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. I'll say that. All right. Thanks. You're motivating me. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate having you. Yeah, it was great to connect. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. If you're an occupational therapist and you want to know more about telehealth, be sure to join the telehealth OT Facebook group for more information. I'll catch you on the next episode.